from New York City. Yes, we're back in New York City. Welcome to Mark to Markets. I'm your host, Mark Penzener. On this podcast, we discuss issues near and far from personal finance. As always, you can reach me at mark.penzener at bernstein.com or at 212-969-6655. Well, the topic of the day, the week, the month, and the year has been the coronavirus, and I'm going to bring back a a former guest who I see too much of outside the office. My brother, Matthew Penzener, is back for his second installment, a repeat offender on the Mark to Markets podcast. I'm having Matthew on because Matthew is at NYU Langone Health. He's an executive director overseeing value-based contracts for that hospital system. And Matthew, we're going to talk about the impact of coronavirus on the healthcare industry. But before I do, what is it that you do? Oh, that's good. You're my brother. You don't know what you're not. That's great. That's great. That's great. I guess we're the, the next the Cuomo su- brothers. The title suggested you would be fantastic, though, for this topic. Yeah. Right. Well, let's see if I can live up to such a high uh, billing. So, so my day to day is is simply put, I oversee our our financial uh, uh, and and quality and outcomes around what's called in the healthcare industry value based contracts. What that is is. Uh, we manage a certain cohort of patients for a period of time, and our goal is to improve the quality outcomes of those patients and hopefully bend the cost curve. And what we mean there is is change the trajectory of the overall healthcare from from a year to a year. We all know healthcare costs are growing exponentially. If we can bend that curve by improving quality outcomes and lowering readmission rates, et cetera, we can actually lower the overall cost uh, to the health system, to both the patient, uh, the health, uh, the health insurance company, and for that, the health insurers give us a bonus if we hit those targets at the end of the day. So that's what I do day in and day out. So I, I, I think that has to suggest that, or maybe I ask the question more broadly: How, how does a hospital, quote unquote, make money? Well, so it's about patient revenue, right? So it's it's a mix of of the procedures that you do, the number of patients that you see, and the contracts that you have with your insurance partners, right? So we're in New York City. Uh, just about every health insurance plan known to man does business in New York City. So we have a team uh, that negotiates contracts with those payers uh, for every service that we provide. So every service has a dollar amount on it. Um, um, and then it's our job at the health system to ensure that we're running a a highly uh, quality uh, organization, a highly reliable organization, um, and one that uh, is right sized for the services that were provided so that you can hopefully make some money um, in the services that you're providing against the contracted rate that you're paying. Um, quite honestly, Medicare, we lose money on every patient that comes here that has Medicare that's 65 or older, we lose money on. Um, that's because you don't negotiate with the government. They say, here's the price, and you hope that your costs are less than the cost, uh, than the price that Medicare will pay you. And, and, and that's just not the case. So you have to make up money with the commercial insurance companies, and that's uh, through negotiation, and then hopefully running a, a high-quality institution. Let me ask one or two more questions to lay the groundwork for the hospital business or industry, because I think that'll then help us understand what the impact of coronavirus has been on hospitals and institutions. Um, What's the difference for those who aren't in your industry between what we would call a public hospital, I guess that's like Bellevue in New York City, 
um, a not-for-profit hospital? Is, is that what you'd consider NYU or Columbia mm -hmm. because they're because they're university yep. affiliated, and then and then a profit hospital? What's the difference? Is there a difference? I mean, from a patient perspective, you, you, you probably wouldn't know. You know, maybe the patient experience is a little bit different in, in one or the other. But uh, you know, hopefully, from the patient experience, uh, uh, you wouldn't notice. I, I think the the reality is, it's it's where your funding is coming from and where your funding is going, right? So, a not-for-profit uh, institution takes whatever quote unquote profits they're making, right? And then reinvests, right? It reinvests in infrastructure, it reinvests in research and technology and hopefully finding life-saving drugs and things like that. And a for-profit uh, institution is again, trying to, to make a profit and to put money in shareholders' pockets, right? And then that's um, different than a, than a public city or state hospital. Yeah, and a public hospital is, you know, it's how it's funded and, and again, the, the services it's providing. Um, but again, there, there still are research and academic missions to, to all three of those varieties. And, and we know these are giant budget, I don't want to call them businesses, but let's just call them institutions of giant budgets. Are, are there, how tight are the margins, right? How much wiggle room is there in, in, in a margin at an institution of these sizes? Yeah, the margin's not that that great, um, and um, they can be really small. So you know, changes in in payer mix, meaning are you seeing more Medicare patients than a commercial patient, you know, has an impact on the bottom line. Um, uh, patient flow has a has an impact on the bottom line, and we're not talking about double digit uh, profit margins for the most part here. We're talking about low single digits is is an industry standard. So, so let's pivot that. If you're on a industry standard of low single digit margins, now again, it may be an, a lot of dollars, but it's not a lot of percentage room to, to, to wiggle here. And then COVID-19 comes up. What's the impact? Not at NYU. That's not the question. But what's the impact on the industry, on the hospital industry, when all of a sudden you've got to, to treat significant amounts of acutely ill patients? Yeah, well, it, it's a multifactorial equation, like anything that has to do with coronaviruses in any industry, quite honestly, right? And, and for healthcare, again, even if you're the best performing financial uh, health system, right, this is going to squeeze you, right? Um, you know, what happened overnight, you know, especially in hot zones like New York City was, and, and now you're seeing across the across the country, is just an explosion of cases and then at the same time a closure of cities right so so all of those elective and and non-urgent surgeries that we're doing whether it's orthopedic surgeries or things like that that for most institutions make money went away overnight and rightfully so right because we we were bombarded with uh, a serious uh, illness with coronavirus and now all your beds are taken up by that. And and the price that you're getting paid, again, whether you've negotiated it with an insurance company or with uh, the federal government, doesn't, doesn't um, cover your overhead here. It, it just doesn't. And you have to remember what every health system is, is dealing with right now is huge expenses that were unforeseen, right, because of this. So yeah, of course we had a hospital and we had beds open, right? Sure. Um, but 
the, the number of PPE or personal protective equipment that is needed is skyrocketing, right? Um, and the cost of that PPE has also skyrocketed, right? Supply and demand. Oops, everybody needs this now. Let's mark this up by two or three times, right? And quite honestly, you got to pay for it, right? You, you can't put your frontline workers uh, that are trying to deal with the virus and, and not have them uh, equipped correctly. So you have to pay for that. And then you have people that, that, you know, your own staff that get the virus, so they're not in work. So you have to bring in, you know, what's called travel nurses or extra staffing, and you got to pay a, a lot of money for that. So it, it continues to compound. So, um, uh, you know, the, the types of cases totally shifted um, and the expenses totally exploded at the same time. So everybody's going to be um, in big financial uh, hardships because of this. And then the question that still remains is, you know, how quickly will the healthcare system, just like any any other industry, will it rebound, right? Will we ever get to uh, volume that was 100% pre-COVID or will we stay at, whether it's 80% or 90% pre-COVID? You know, that's a big question. And, and that all changes the levers in the financial calculations at the end of the day. Can, can I ask a dumb question? So if, if you if we talk about airline travel or hotels coming back to 50, 70, 80, 90, 100 percent of what it was pre all of this, and we can debate when and if that ever happens, you're dealing with illness, sick people um, post COVID. Why wouldn't the healthcare industry or a hospital industry be back at 100 percent post this? Because I, I assume people still break their legs and people still have cancer and, you know, people still have elective surgery. So is there a concern that people will get less treatment post this? Uh, there's there's two concerns uh, that that you would hear if if you listen, right? So the and I think you touched on them both actually. So the, the first is that it will never come back to 100%. And, and you're right, people will still get hurt and people will still, need, will still need hospitalization. But how many people won't go for their annual physical? Or how many people will delay something because eh, it's not that bad right now, so I can wait, right? So there's so many of those that may delay that it, it may not come back. And, and that could just be fear of, of going to the doctor because you think you're going to get exposed to the virus. Quite frankly, for those of you that have been to the doctor in the last, you know, couple weeks, it's probably one of the more safe places to go, right? You need a temperature check to go in. Everybody's wearing masks and gloves and shields and everything like that. Um, so, so there is a fear that, that, you know, people just won't seek care like they were seeking before. The other part of that is um, how many people who have delayed care will eventually need care, and mm. that care will require a higher, higher level of acuity than it would have if you took care of it in the beginning, right? So, you know, did you have, you know, blood in your stool, you know, four weeks ago, and you said, ah, it's, it's, I don't know what that is, but I'm not going to the doctor right now, right? Um, and you've waited three or four months, and something that may have been an early detection of cancer is now a late detection of cancer. And what will that do to the health insurance industry and, and and profits of health insurance industries and potentially, you know, payouts to, you know, cover the cost of these illnesses. Does that circle back to the thing you were talking about in the beginning when, when in all seriousness, I said, what the heck do you do? Because that, if, if it's more acute care, use your, your bloody stool example that becomes serious cancer down the line. That, that's not going to help bend that cost curve you were talking about for better outcomes and then better payments, right? Those are going to be much right. more acute care costly outcomes for the hospital and the insurer. 
Yeah, and that's what that's what you if you're an insurance company, that's exactly what you would say, right? And you'll see, you know, in New York State, you know, insurance companies have to file for their premium uh, increases every year. In New York State, uh, a lot of insurance companies were again pushing for premium increases on their, you know, products that they sell to individuals and small groups. And, and a lot of people say, well, well, why is that? The insurance companies have probably made a ton of money the last three months in New York because there's been, again no visits. There's no doctor visits. There's only Corona, right? So their expenses are way down, right? Uh, And if you're in a health insurance company, that's good for your bottom line. But they would tell you that they have this fear of of the delayed diagnosis and will that uh, end up costing the system more, maybe not this year, but maybe next year. And we need to reserve for that or we need to see that coming. And therefore, we think that's going to cost the entire health system more. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's two schools of thoughts on that. There's probably one that says yes, and there's probably one that says no. Um, I, I think only time will tell. Uh, I believe but if people, aren't people will in, still see care. But, but if people aren't coming in for the annual physical and the preventative care, right, that, that, that can potentially make th- their individual health care costs go higher because the, I, I would guess preventative medicine is one of the best ways to have lower ultimate care costs. Sure, but but uh, if you get that that disease, right? <laughs> so so if if you're getting a colonoscopy for ten years and you never get uh, uh, colon cancer, right? Uh, not that I'm suggesting you shouldn't get a colonoscopy, you should, right? But you've gotten preventative care and and you haven't really prevented anything, but you you never developed anything. That's great, right? And you should spend that kind of money, right? But uh, you know, there's there's that side of the coin too. But again, Does we would this, suggest, and this is what I do every day, that people need to get their, you know, annual physicals, their wellness checks. You know, we push information out to patients. You know, when they haven't gotten their their mammography, their colonoscopy, we want people to come in for those things. They're good things. Uh, yes, they cost the health system money today, but you're hoping to find something now rather than in two years when it's much worse. Do you, th- there's been a, a, a outsider's view, a trend in the hospital space of consolidation over the last, you, you would know better than I, I would say five, 10 years. Um, assuming that's right, will COVID impact that at all? The answer may be no, it's, we're already consolidated or, or would it accelerate hospital closures or consolidation? I think it depends on your market, right? New York's pretty consolidated already, right? I mean, there's a couple major systems that are that are around, right? Uh, everybody's been gobbled up. There's not really much independence left. Maybe throughout the country, if they're behind that New York curve of of consolidation, hospitals that are financially strained may look um, uh, for a, you know air quote now bailout or, a, or somebody to come in and, and take them over and alleviate those financial concerns, right? But I think that's market market dependent. Um, telemedicine. We had a conversation offline about the the increase in telemedicine. Um, have, have you seen it at your institution? And, and do you think this changes how people get care from here forward? Yeah, well, listen, you know, the federal government changed the guidelines because of coronavirus to allow, you know, telemedicine or virtual medicine kind of across the board. And the insurance companies followed suit as they do with things like this, you know, overnight. Um, and it was the right thing to do. And, and we saw an explosion here of, of virtual uh, medicine. We, we do. Uh, it's through our app called MyChart, but it's like FaceTime, right, with a with a physician. Um 
you know, and the good thing was, quite honestly, you don't want somebody with coronavirus to come to the office, right? Uh, uh, you want them at home unless they're in an acute situation and you want them in the hospital, right? But just to come to the doctor's office to say, you may have coronavirus, it doesn't change what you're going to do. So we wanted to keep them home. This allowed us to keep them home and yet still have a face-to-face physician visit with people. And it also allowed some of those other things that we're talking about, maybe it's a stomach ache or something like that, to be dealt with without having to come back uh, uh, into the office. Again, people people have concerns about that from a safety perspective. Um, so I do think telehealth is, is here to stay. Um, I don't think the volumes that we saw uh, in New York City two months ago uh, are here to stay. You know, we've already started to see that come down. Um, and I think that's okay. But I, I think as long as it's, it's here to stay and it's an a, a available option for, for patients and, and providers, I think that's a good thing. Um, last question. There's been some discussion about um, state or really federal government, I don't know if balance is the right word, but maybe you say better support for, for hospitals. What does that mean? How does that work? How do we think about that? I mean, I, I guess just as a layperson, right, people listening to this would say, yeah, send money to hospitals. Like, can, can you explain well, a little bit yeah, more I mean, about what that means? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not too, too close to it. It's more in our finance team because it's still it's still getting worked out. Right. But, you know, Congress has set aside money um, for hospitals that have been impacted or areas that have been impacted, knowing that, again, as I described earlier, you know, costs have grown exponentially, yet the money that we're paid has has not changed. Right. So people are losing a lot of money on this. So it's a it's another way that I think the government has stepped up to help people out. Right. And, and in this case, the people is the health systems. Um, uh, the, the question again, and, and it's market by market or health system by health system is how much will that buoy the losses? Right. Will, will you come out even or will you now just be you know, a little bit better off than, than you would have been? Right. Still in the red, but but a little bit better off. But uh, listen, I, I, I think society needs things like this because this is unprecedented times and uncharted waters that we're in right now. Here's what I've learned in our 20 minutes on this podcast. One, you know a lot about this. And two, I still have no idea what you do. I mean, either does mom, so it's fine. <laughs> well, if you want more information on the healthcare system or our family dynamic or on your own personal financial circumstances, you can always reach me at mark.penzner at bernstein.com or 212-969-6655. Matthew, I appreciate you taking the time to try and educate me and, and probably educate the audience better than me on, on what's going on in the, in the hospital space today. So thanks for joining. Yep. And to our listeners, uh, questions, comments, feel free to like us, review us wherever you get this podcast. Until next time. <laughs>